1 Corinthians, starting in chapter 7. So as we go along this book, you'll recall that Paul is admonishing the Corinthians because they haven't truly entered into the life that he had come and taught them about. They had, uh, they had taken on the religion of following Jesus, uh, worshiping Jesus. Um, they, they, the spiritual gifts were very active amongst them. And yet they were living according to the various ways of the world. And so what we've been doing in the last few chapters, and we'll continue on here, I believe, is he's teaching about uh, you cannot live as the world lives anymore. God wants to totally transform your life and this people's life so that there's a community, a fellowship, a body of Christ who is transformed and raised up into the type of people that God always intended for mankind to be. But you're living the ways of the world, and therefore you're cutting yourself off from this goal that God has for people. And so we'll continue on here with chapter 7. And Paul's going to teach on marriage and uh, on... um, well, he's saying a man and he said people should stay chaste. He said ideally, you never have any sort of sexual relations with anybody. He says that's what I'm doing. That's what Jesus did. That's what you ought to do if you're able to. He says, however, I understand that there are there are lusts and uh, and, and a lot of people cannot live this way. Therefore. You should get married. You don't do anything outside of marriage, but you get married, one man to one woman, and then you, you know, you both are then beholden to each other in matters of sex, and you don't deprive each other, um, so that the you know these these uh, desires of the body are fulfilled, and in this way, um, you, you know, you're you're not. The, you're not tempted to do something much worse. I, I very much desire to have these be kid-friendly video, <laughs> I mean, audios, but occasionally the Bible's tricky on that. I have a friend who's, they ended up getting divorced, but his wife, as this was happening, we, we got together during this time, and she got into all kinds of weird stuff, and I do not want to say what that was, but, but terrible stuff. It's just hard to believe she was wanting to get him into as well. And, and uh, he said, yeah, we're a married couple. No. And, um, but in talking to him, he had been upset about something and he had cut her off for two years. And I said, you did what? And I, you know, I, we certainly, I, I think I'd talked to him in the previous two years, but we had not talked about that. Um, you know, there were some issues there, and I, but I, you don't know for sure that they ever would have come out had they had normal relations. But I guess he was trying to teach her a lesson. Well, you don't teach lesson like that. That's not a good way to lead a household. Um, he's an old friend, and, and we're not in that kind of close relationship that I had any clue that, that what was going on in his private life. But it's just an example of what Paul is saying here. Um, 
you enter into a marriage relationship, you have a, a responsibility and a duty to each other in this way. But Paul says, I'm not saying this by way of, uh, I am saying this way by way of concession, not command as far as marriage. He says, yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner, another in that manner. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So it's better to be able to devote yourself completely to the Lord. However, if there's other... And, and I would say uh, passion, passion, lust, that could be a driving force to, to really want to have children. Um, you know, what, what, but whatever the lust is, um, he says, it, it's best to live without those things and to just give all your attention to the Lord. However, he understands that that is not the way many will go. And each, he said, some are gifted to walk in this way that I am and some are not. And so if, uh, because of passions, you need to get married, then get married. Then about divorce, he says, do not do it. He says, once you're married, you're married. Don't leave. However, if, you, you do leave for whatever reason, or, or I mean, because Jesus gives one reason where it's acceptable, right? He says in the matter of infidelity, it's acceptable. Um, that's the reason my friend had. But, um, but he says, you know, you're, you're marrying for life, uh, so don't leave. And I would say as far as uh, marriage advice, if in this world, the way it has been going because of our culture, if you have it in your mind that you can get divorced, I think divorce is a very likely outcome because this this world is set up completely against a union like marriage. Um, whereas if you don't believe that's even an option, whenever you have difficulties, which all marriages have difficulties, you're going to work them out because that's your only option. Whereas if in your mind you've always got a back door, you don't give everything into working it out. Then he speaks to people. Remember, at this time, people were coming to the Lord uh, all over the place. And so a lot of them would already be married. And maybe the, the husband or the wife uh, did not accept the Lord. And so he says, if you're married to an unbeliever, you must not divorce her. Um, and a woman, same thing. Uh, don't, don't divorce if you're married to an unbeliever. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Since because you believe and you are living for the Lord, your children are blessed through you, not the unbelieving spouse. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? So he says, you're already in this marriage. You've bound yourself. So stick with it for the Lord. And hopefully, you know, pray, obviously, for your spouse. And he or she, uh, hopefully, will come to know the Lord through your prayers. But otherwise, the children are blessed through you. They're blessed through having a, a you know, a, a married mother and father there. And so for the sake of, of them, uh, stay in the marriage, stay faithful. But as far as for making a marriage decision, you, you don't want to marry an unbeliever. We certainly talked about that where it was 
where it was mentioned very specifically before. He speaks of circumcision and says, if you were circumcised when you came to the Lord, you're circumcised. If you're uncircumcised, you don't need to get circumcised. He's saying the Lord's calling is spiritual. And so the circumcision is not going to change anything. He says, if you're called to the Lord while a slave, don't worry about it. But if you have a chance to be free, be free. But if you're a slave, be a slave and do it for the Lord. He says, for he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You are bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in the condition in which he was called. So he's saying what he's basically saying, whatever you are in this world, it doesn't really matter. You are beholden to Christ and Christ alone. But the work that you're called to do because of your situation in this world, do it. Do it unto the Lord. It doesn't really matter. God's kingdom is spiritual. It's not of this world. Obviously, they had a they had a lot of slavery back then. We don't have that, but that applies to us in whatever situation we find ourselves in in this world. He's, now he starts talking about should you marry off your daughter, and he says I, I don't have any word from the Lord, but uh, my opinion is as I've already stated, it, it's best to just remain uh, devoted to the Lord. But he says it's not a sin to marry. Um, it's not a sin to be single. Um, it's just best to be devoted to the Lord. He says, 28, but if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life. And I am trying to spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. And those who weep as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. So he says, whatever your circumstance, devote yourself first and foremost to the Lord. Nothing else is important. Whether Obviously, your marriage is important. I don't want to put marriage in the same category as, as possessions, but Paul kind of just did. Um, he's just saying that in, in no matter in what you do, uh, devote yourselves to the Lord first and foremost and sort everything else um, behind that. And he gives the reason why he doesn't recommend marriage starting in 32. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. So, you know, when you're single, you can live your life completely for the Lord. When you're married, you have to... Uh, make sure that your spouse is happy. And so there's going to be times when you're pulled away from doing, uh, from living completely for the Lord, you're going to entertain your spouse. You can't, um, (laughs) you can't have a spouse and ignore your spouse, right? I kind of just made that point in a different way (laughs) a few minutes ago. Um, And so Paul's saying your interests are divided when you're married. And so this is just a reality that, uh, that you need to understand when you're going into this. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. 
So this is, I presume, probably where like Catholics got the idea that uh, that people, uh, uh, what do they call them, priests, should not marry. Um, but the problem is they've made a law out of something Paul was not making a law about. He was saying, look, this is the best way to live for the Lord. This is the way I'm living. This is the way Jesus lived. But Peter didn't live this way. The other original uh, disciples of Jesus did not live this way. And and so it, setting up a law about such things is foolishness. And Paul made it very clear here with the reasons why it's okay. Um, but he said the best way is to be completely devoted to the Lord and, and remain single. He said, but if you think your, your daughter needs to marry, let her marry. That's not a sin. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will and has decided in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. And then he ends the chapter with, A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God. So he says, if you're married, you stay married until your spouse dies. Uh, If your spouse dies, you can remarry, but only in the Lord. So only to another believer who's walking the same walk with the Lord as you are. Um, Because, you know, if you marry just someone who calls themselves a believer, but you're walking really intimately with the Lord, but you've kind of got a weak area there for for lust, for companionship, um, and, and that person is not on track with you to go with you on this walk, you're going to have all kinds of strife. That person will most likely pull you away from the Lord rather than you pulling them towards the Lord. So he's giving, uh, you know, a, a warning there. And then he says, but in my opinion, it's better to, to stay single in that situation. And I have the spirit of the Lord. In other words, he's saying my opinion is weighty because it, I have the spirit of the Lord. I am my thoughts are, even if it's not a direct word from the Lord, my thoughts have been transformed by the Lord. And then we're on to chapter 8. And it starts, Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. So he's, he's um, raising different ways of life here. Knowledge, living by knowledge, he said, which makes arrogant, or living by love, which makes humble. Uh, and if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Um, is it better to know things or to love God and be known by God? He says to set yourself up in this way, live according to this heart. So once you get to the point of beginning that you know a lot of stuff, that you really have a lot of knowledge of how the spiritual world works. You've cut yourself off from growth. You've cut yourself off from God. Even though you've positioned yourself as the one who knows all about God. He says, just humble yourself. Worship the Lord that he can continue to grow you. That he can give you more knowledge. That he can continue to transform you into what he intends you to be. Which is far above and beyond what you are now. So they had written to him asking him if it was okay to eat food sacrificed to idols. That was a very common practice in those days. And so this was something they would come across in in their lives at that point. Can we eat this? 
And he, Paul says, there's no such thing as an idol in this world. They're not, we're not really worried about the things that they're worshiping. Um, there's only one God. He said, even if these so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. So he says they're not real gods that they're worshiping. He says, however, I mean, they are kind of real as far as their powers. You know, people, whenever... A person who is created by God to be a son of God uh, sets up a throne in their heart for um, something from Satan's kingdom. Then, in, then we make that you know whether it be Satan or one of the many, you know, Satan has an entire kingdom, layers of bureaucracy, for lack of a better word, layers of authority is a better word, uh, of pow- powers and authorities, as the Scripture calls them. And, um, you know, dark angels. And so we make these things gods in our heart by giving them power over us. And so he says, that's a very real situation. But for us, we give all our power only to God. And of course, this is a, this is a transitional thing that, that happens in the, in the course of a person because we come out of the world into the Lord. And so sometimes we still have those ties but here he's he's speaking more at a high level that we've given our life to the Lord. We give him power and authority only. We recognize him only. So if we eat something sacrificed to an idol, what does it matter to us as far as just privately between us and God? We know that that thing has no power. I had this thing years, many years ago. Um, I had this thing in my house because I had a neighbor. I didn't know the neighbor well, but I was in a condo building and we had... We had uh, like 15 neighbors and um, one of them, I guess, got into drugs. Uh, he, 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 I, I wasn't really aware that this was all going on, but at the end he got foreclosed on. He, and he was ignoring everything until basically they were like police were there. He had to go and he was scrambling to get rid of stuff. He brought me this beautiful jade statue and a couple paintings he would paint too. And this beautiful jade statue, a couple feet tall, probably eight inches wide, and asked me to hold it for him for a while. So I was sure I'll, I'll hold this. I had I didn't have the guy's phone number, um, and he was gone, and I had it. Well, you know, I came to the Lord, and or I was growing in the Lord, and the Lord made me very aware this thing has something attached to it that is evil, and <laughs> like I should not have this in my house. But I didn't, I was caught in a weird place because it wasn't mine to throw away. I had told somebody I would hold it for them. And so I couldn't just, I, I you know, so, again, I was caught in a weird place. I didn't feel like I could just throw it away because it wasn't mine. And yet I didn't want to keep it. <laughs> so the Lord made me aware of this and I hadn't seen this guy. I mean, I had it. I don't really know how long I had it. A year, several years. I'm not really sure was sitting there for a long time, and, and it was quite beautiful. I certainly never worshipped I don't even know what it was. So I don't even know what it was, was supposed to represent. Um, but uh, but after I became aware this thing needs to leave my house, the guy showed up at my door one day and said, do you still have the statue? I said, yeah. And he took it along with his uh, couple paintings. And, uh, and so anyways, the Lord took care of that. <laughs> he made me aware this thing needs to go. And then I had, since I 
didn't, I was kind of caught between a rock and a hard place of how to get rid of it. I'm, I, I'm guessing he brought it back to the memory of the guy who's who owned it, and he showed up at my door and took it away for me. So, you know, that's maybe a situation where to him it might have been, I don't know if he worshipped the statue, or I, I have no idea. But um, to him it was more meaningful than it was to me. I thought it was beautiful. I mean, it was it was a giant piece of jade, so I think it had some value just in being that. And then it was, you know, it was carved, so I'm not a connoisseur of such carvings. I, I don't know the artistic value of it. But overall, the thing was quite beautiful, and I was happy to, to have it in my home for a little while uh, until I realized, wait a minute, there's something more here. Um, this, somewhere along the way, and I don't know how old the thing was, but somewhere along the way, this has been um, endowed with some kind of spiritual properties that I don't particularly want in my home. Um, uh, so th- there's real spiritual things going on, but I, I didn't ascribe to them. I, 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 I don't even know what it was. <laughs> you know, I, I certainly didn't worship that thing. And yet that's not to take away from the thing being real. It's just, is it real for me in my life? No. And yet the Lord was saying, you don't want this thing in your house. And so then he removed it. And, and so that was that. And the Lord, the Lord can overcome anything, even when, you know, if it was mine. And actually, I'll tell you, there was, I don't know if it was the same time or a different time. I think it was a different time. I became aware of two things I'd bought before I knew the Lord. And uh, he showed me, I don't even remember how anymore, but he just showed me, you need to get rid of those things. Like there was a mask. I think there were two different masks that I had bought somewhere along the way. And I just had them as decorations. Um, but he showed me, you need to get rid of those. Um, and so I did. Um, that's an easy decision because although I liked them, I thought they were pretty. Um, they were mine and I could easily throw them away. And this situation is difficult. <laughs> Lord, I need your help. And the Lord showed up. So again, just repeating that last line. From whom, God the Father, from whom are all things and we exist for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. So again, the Father and Jesus are separate. They're united in complete unity, but they're different. God's the Father. Jesus is Lord. He's our way to the Father. And we exist through him. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as it were, as if it were sacrificed to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So I said food sacrifice to an idol is no big deal if it's just you. I think I already said that at the top. Um, he said, but if if you're eating with someone or someone else sees you eat and they're a brother who's weaker in the Lord, they're kind of maybe new in faith or weak for whatever reason, and they see you eating food sacrifice to an idol, then they might imagine that you are declaring that it's okay. They're seeing you as a more mature believer and they're seeing you eat food sacrificed to an idol. So in their mind, they're thinking you are worshiping this other God and the Lord and that that is okay. And so in that way, you're hurting your brother. Even though in your mind, you were just eating some meat and it was no big deal. In their mind, it could be hurting them. And that could be extremely detrimental to their growth in the Lord. Because then they'll go on worshiping other gods. So... Uh, uh, a common example in today's world, a lot of people struggle with alcohol. If you have um, if you have somebody that is struggling with alcohol, 
and um, you, you're you're spending time with them. Don't drink alcohol. Don't don't. You know, that's their struggle. If you don't struggle with it, then surely you can go without it, right? If if you can't go without it, then guess what? You're struggling with it too. Um, but you, you if if that's a struggle for them, then anything we struggle getting rid of, that means we're kind of worshiping that thing. And then therefore you need to stop worshiping that thing, get rid of it. And so in that case, uh, don't drink around that person because they're struggling with that thing. And so you don't need to be adding to their struggles. You need to be showing them there is a, there's one way towards the light and I'm walking in that way. And so you need to, in every way, be the light to that person and the way the guidepost, this is the way to live your life. Levin says, for through your knowledge, and the knowledge is that I can eat whatever I want and I'm fine because there's only one Lord, but through your, or I can drink whatever I want. I'm sure this applies to many other areas. It's just the alcohol thing just kind of came to me. For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. The brother for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. He's saying, be willing to give up. I mean, eating meat, that's, you know, assuming you like meat, <laughs> that's, a, that's a big thing to give up, right? But he said, if it caused uh, others to to not stumble and instead to live and grow into what God has called them, I would give up meat forever. That's Paul's heart. That should be our heart for others, that we die to ourselves in every way so that others are lifted up. That's it for today. God bless you.